Section86.com. We're changing the world of podcasting one show at a time. 86 Productions. The best podcast where anyone wants in-depth insight and analysis into the world of professional wrestling. On today's show, we have Aaron, Roger, and Doug to join me as we discuss this month's view from the turnbuckle. So, unfortunately, we have a, a bunch of passings, including uh, Terry Funk. So, uh, Aaron, what are your thoughts on the whole Terry Funk uh, saga with him uh, finally going away? That's a bit harsh there, Andy. Uh, but, no, uh, Terry Funk, uh, he had a very long and storied life. And, you know, he is, uh, I think, maybe the only person who won the NWA title uh, with, with his, um, while his brother also had won that at, at, at one point in time. I, I, he might be the only one that's uh, the duo that's done that. He had a really long life, a very storied career. He had retired back in, I want to say, the 80s at some point in time, and he had so many retirement matches. But he was the the person that really personified hardcore wrestling. And, and this was at a time when you know he did NWA, so he did very much, very mat-based you know, real wrestling, as, as they would have called it. And he evolved over the years. And to see Terry Funk, what he looked like in the 60s and 70s, is so different than what he ended up being in the 90s or 2000s. And I, I got to say, like, he is somebody, when you see how he was able to progress in his career, when you talk about different versions of character, you know, I mean, he's up there with, like, a Chris Jericho or, like, a Hulk Hogan or a Rock, you know, in terms of his character work and what he was able to change and, and evolve over time. And it, it, it's sad, but, you know, just like we talk about, he had a very long life. He was, I want to say, 79 years old. So I mean, that's great. To be able to live that long and, and have such a good life, I think, is great. And, um, you know, he's, he'll be missed. The king of hardcore has passed away. Um, like uh, Aaron said, it just – it. It's sad to see somebody go, but at the same time, he he had lived a long, hard life. Uh, but what what a I mean, if you wanted a dedication of a hard worker and somebody who was just uh, dedicated to the business and everything like that, there's no better example than Terry Funk. The the fact that he was still wrestling probably up until the day he died, um, it's just amazing what that guy has done, the career that he built, and the the legacy that he leaves behind. So. Um, I'm surprised it took him this long just with all the damage that he did to his body and even the stuff he was doing, even in the, his last few matches. Um, he, he was a, a testament to true hardcore fans. Yeah. I mean, Terry Funk finally retired at 79 and this was the only way you were going to keep him out of the ring. And he lived a very long, good life. You know, I echo both of your thoughts. I think one of the things that is at least more pleasant is that he got to live a long and full life. I don't feel cheated. He got, every ounce of his body. It was great. Um, I believe he's one of the original pioneers of ECW. I think Paul Heyman was very grateful to him about how he really helped establish them. And, you know, his legacy speaks for itself. There's nothing I need to say about that. So certainly rest in peace, 79 years old, you know, glad he got to live a very, very full life. Cause as we're going to talk about, that's not true for everyone. Yeah. I, I also agree with you guys. Uh, one thing also, I did look to see how many retirement matches he had and he actually had seven. Um, and he had one, he had two in the eighties, two in the nineties, one in 05 and two in the 2010s. And, uh, even though it's, uh, according to this, uh, his last match was actually in 2017, 
it was not listed as a retirement match, but it was actually uh, considered to be his final match. Who was so, it against? Uh, it was a trios match. Uh, I don't have the exact uh, people, but yeah, the, the last retirement match, though, was in 2015 against Jerry Lawler, of all people. And then he did start out with, uh, it was uh, Dory and Terry Funk versus Stan Hansen and Terry Gore. He was his first one in 83. So some of us were very, very young. Uh, back then. Is that the largest gap between retirement matches in wrestling history? That has to be. at this. Point. I don't know. Ric Flair could beat it. That's true. Well, Flair was what? He retired at WrestleMania 20, the one in Orlando. And then he had his last match. I don't even think that was 20 years. Maybe it was 20 years on the dot. Yeah, uh, and then moving on, uh, one thing, uh, I, the, I think the sadder one is actually Bray Wyatt passed away. So um, he was, uh, they said he had a, uh, he when he got COVID, it just didn't go away for him. And he, they wanted him on like a ventilator and stuff, uh, but it was very sad. I mean, Roger, what did you think about Bray Wyatt's uh, short time? Yeah. I mean, this is the one I think that stings more, not that Dan or um, that Terry Funk's isn't sad, but Terry Funk got to get to 79. He got a full life. Bray Wyatt didn't even make it to 40, I believe. 36, 36. Bray Wyatt is basically younger than us. And he, we now talk about him in the past. Sad. I mean, and not just the fact that he was immensely talented and one of the most unique characters we've ever seen, but a man who was 36 years old just passed away. And it wasn't the typical way that we've talked about wrestling deaths young, where they killed themselves, right? Where they did hard drugs, where they were reckless. I mean, this is more or less similar to, I think, the Briscoe death, where it's just out of out of nowhere and it's sudden. I, I think a lot about Brody Lee when it comes to this, right? It just, this shouldn't happen. This came out of nowhere. It's unfortunate. It sucks. He was certainly going to be missed. You saw the impact kind of all out with all the tributes to him. I am unbelievably sad about this. This is the part of being a wrestling fan that sucks because we've gone through this far too many times. And 36 is far, far too young to die. The other sad thing is he's leaving behind such a young family. Um, and it's it's absolutely tragic in the fact that so sudden, so so creative – um, he he definitely would be missed, and you could see his, the how the wrestlers reacted to it was a good testament of well the character that he was out of outside of the ring. And he was one of the most creative minds, I feel too. The you know some of the stuff with the fiend, the wrestling matches themselves, while they I didn't think were as good, the lead up to it was great. I loved what he was doing with uh you know the Wyatt family, what he did with the Fireflies, when he the Firefly Funhouse thing. That could easily, like, if you had the wrong person in there, that would have been terrible. He did an amazing job. And, you know, one of the, my favorite matches during COVID was his match with Cena. Like, that thing was insanely good. I, I know there were people that hated it. I was one of them that loved it. I thought it was it was immensely great. And I, I got to say, like, you know, he is one of those minds that you had not seen since probably, like, The Undertaker, where you had that mystique and mysteriousness about it, but it worked. Because a lot of times when they do that, it, it's kind of crap. And so I, it's so sad because one, uh, it deprives obviously not only us wrestling fans, but as Doug had pointed out, divide, deprives his family too. And that's, that's terrible. You know, it, it, it's a huge loss for the wrestling world and huge loss for, for his family too. Yeah. And I do echo your guys' thoughts. Yeah. It's very sad uh, just for him to pass away. But um, uh, the like I said, the one person I thought what I saw was uh, hurt the most it felt like Alexa Bliss because they had a great, great working relationship together. So it's sad about that. More sad news. WWE uh, merged with UFC to TKO, and uh, they decided to release a bunch of people, uh, some including some key names that I thought were huge, including Ziggler and Riddle. 
and uh, Ali. And then, of course, uh, Shelton Benjamin and uh, Aaron's favorite wrestler of all time, Dana Brooke. So, Aaron, are you sad about uh, Among others as well. Um, yeah, I, you know, the thing is that I would, the question I would ask for you, Andy, you know, and there's, there's a, lot, a lot of names on there. If you could pick only one, is there one person or maybe even a second person that you would pick to hire for like AEW or, you know, like Impact or New Japan? Is there somebody that you're like, this person is who, if AEW has them, I think that it will improve their game. I think Mustafa Ali and uh, Shelton Benjamin. Um, as much as I think Dolph Ziggler would, I think Dolph Ziggler is going to, I mean, he's doing well in his comedy career, and I think he's going to kind of stick with that. Um, and plus, he's been, he was in WD for so long, he probably saved every single penny because he's like, today's the day. Today's the day. And it's like year 20. It's like, today's going to be the day. Or he's probably like, you know what? This is the first day I don't think I'm going to get released. And then that's the day he gets released. He's like, dang it. But um, yeah, I think uh, I think Mustafa Ali, uh, because he's still young, I think that he could help out uh, AEW. And then Shelton Benjamin, I mean, he was in some of the biggest TLC matches of all time. And I think for him, they'd probably ask his opinion on basically safety. And I think that him being like a backstage producer would be way better for him than in, than anyone else. Dolph Ziggler, I think, could come in, but I don't think I think he's going to step away from wrestling for a, for a while. So that that's. Yeah. But, and I, I beg to differ. I think Dolph Ziggler would be a perfect fit for AEW, just in the aspect that you can bring him over. He's got his brother already over there. Uh, you can have another brother tag team. Um, he can come in, he can do his, his shindig and everything like that. Maybe get a run at like the intercontinental title or something like that, or the equivalent, um, the, the TNT title or something like that. And, and I mean, I, I don't see him as ever as a big time player. I don't see any of them as necessarily a big time player in AEW, but, um, I, I think it would be good of them to bring in Dolph Ziggler just because he's had such a long career over in WWE he can come in he can kind of coach just like Christian's doing but I honestly think Christian would be a better coach but Ziggler can come in he can he can fill whatever role you need him to be he's a heel he's a he can be a baby face he can be a tweener he can just do he, he's a workhorse he he just goes in he does his match to the best of his ability and then he entertains and walks away but would you rather have him or Edge? I would rather have Edge. That's unfair. Th- that wasn't the question. Like, the question, was, Edge the question wasn't, who, was it, who, who, who do I want? It was who was yeah. released that I would find. Doug, would you was, rather have Dolph Ziggler or Brock Lesnar? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, tough I was, thought here. Tough, thought, uh, tough choice. <laughs> I was thinking more because that's why Dolph wouldn't be there. Because like he wouldn't bring... Uh, as much. I, I think that Ali and Shelton Benjamin, I think, would bring something. Uh, plus, they can use their real name. That's the other thing. So they can go in there as Shelton Benjamin and as Mustafa Ali. Dolph Ziggler can't. He has to go in as Nick Namath. And yeah, he'll look familiar and most wrestling fans will be like, oh yeah, I remember Dolph Ziggler. But I think that with him not owning that name and he's been attached to that name for what 15, at least 15 years, I'm just kind of... It, it won't matter. It, he he is a show off. He is he's gonna go on and, and do his thing and and just like I said, I think he I think he wants to wrestle with his brother. I think he wants to give his brother a little bit of a bump too, because you always have that nice little. I mean, it's a, it's a storyline in itself, and the fact that the the brother storyline it, it'll never get old. It'll never get overdone. 
it'll be their tag team. They fight, and one of them finally goes over and uh, hope maybe it bumps his brother into getting off of uh, Dark. Yeah. What about you, Roger? Is there anyone that you're like, yeah, I think AEW should do this or Impact? I'm a little shocked that no one said this name, but to me, the easy choice is Matt Riddle without even a second thought. Like he, to me, of the people who are released, feels more like a star. He has that UFC persona. I think he has a very different type of personality. And very much you could have someone like a Rob Van Dam manage him because they both have that connection. You know, they, nobody gets higher. Um, but I also just think that, like, if you look at the way Riddle was presented in NXT, they booked him perfectly. That's the way I want Matt Riddle to be. He can be goofy but a killer, almost like the way Kurt Angle was. And I think he has that look. He, you know, he kicks off the sandals. He's barefoot. He's very striking with the viciousness. He could hit a little bit harder over an AEW. So to me, that's the choice. No question. If you gave me one, I'd take Matt Riddle and sign him today. He's got to get his personal life in order. Whatever backstage drama he's going with has got to be resolved. That's the call for me. No question. Behind that, I mean, I like Ziggler, but I think Ziggler is better off doing like what Matt Cardona did, becoming like the king of the indies, you know, almost doing a I'm too good for this type situation. And then you can have some appearances in AEW with his brother. Um, Ali would be fine, though I think he's a, a guy who's kind of lost in the shuffle. I don't feel like Elias is a fit. Like, I love Shelton Benjamin. I think that her business was fantastic. But at this point in his career, he's a tag team specialist. So if you want to bring back him and Charlie Haas, great. Got no problem with that. Um, but to me, it's Matt Riddle all the way. Like, that's the one. If you gave me a choice, I'm taking him without a hesitation. So one of them that I, I put on here that I was thinking about was Emma. And not necessarily because I think she's a megastar, but I think like she could help out that women's division. You know, and we're gonna talk about them in a little bit, but you know, having another star power, you know, to add to that division. And I mean it sucks that you're getting a lot of like, hey, these used to be WWE stars, you know, now they're here with AEW. And you can only have so much of that before it, it waters it down. But Emma is somebody that I think take away her comedy stuff. I think her comedy stuff was terrible. Like her as a wrestler, I think she was unique and interesting enough to look at. So that's something I would do. You think? think do you think with Emma though, she's been cooled down for so long that there might be a concern? I could see that. Yeah, I yeah. I would give her a shot for sure. You know, I, I it's she is somebody that I would want to pair with some of the the women in AEW. I think like her and Chris Stallender, I think they could have a really mm. good arm burner of a match. Uh, you know, I don't remember any big Emma promos. But I remember her not being terrible as a, you know, on as a promo. So, you know, again, you know, this off the top of my head, so I, I don't know if she was uh, was really bad or not. But, you know, that's something I, I would take a look at. I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind pairing her with Tony Storm as like the trying to keep because, you know, Tony's doing that great character work right now. Like Emma being the person trying to keep her sane would be interesting. Yeah. Okay. I mean, she's already wrestled for AEW once. Mm-hmm. Has she? Yeah. She, was Has at, she? she was at All Out, the very first one. Or uh, all, all, out or really? all in? Do you mean all in? All in? Mm. Oh, yeah. okay. No, no. Neil Bashwood was at the uh, at the first one. I think she was in a four way match. But what about Emelina? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about her, but I, I've I've liked uh, Neil Dashwood's uh, her run on. Uh, I think she was in TNA also. Uh, I think that was she was another character that walked away from WWE and then came back and. Uh, she she did really good on the independence, and I think she could she could easily be, uh, like Aaron said, a, a, a much needed uh, injection into the women's division in AEW or whatever group she goes to. And uh, I you know we haven't discussed it yet, but uh, there's one big uh, release that we should probably talk about, and that is the one Phil Brooks, formerly known as CM Punk, I guess still known as CM Punk. Uh, he is no longer uh, with AEW, so uh, he does not own Collision. 
So, Doug, what do you think about um, the CM Punk uh, situation that's happened with uh, AEW? Now, stop me when I'm telling lies, but it's just I'm I'm so thrilled for AEW, absolutely thrilled for AEW, and the fact that this was a this he was a true cancer of the uh, place. He he was pause, treated pause pause. He was not a cancer. He's Scorpio. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> He is not too cool. Oh, that was amazing. <laughs> Can we call him a scorpion? Because sooner or later, he's going to, you know, stab you in the neck. Oh, that was great. If you had astrology references on this week's podcast, congratulations. <laughs> the lottery. My bingo card is now full. Thanks. Yep. Aaron. <laughs> so- <laughs> you got a dad joke in there as well, too. <laughs> Oh gosh! <laughs> you know what? I I I do what I can. I do what I can. I apologize, Doug, for for interrupting you. No, that was good. That was a good one. I'm that that was great. Uh, <laughs> just try to start over again. But uh, no, he he is absolutely. I, I'm so glad that he's gone. The drama that he he brought with him. Um, I know TNT loves drama, and I think that was their whole whole shtick a while ago. But um you, you don't want it in a backstage aspect i mean he was getting into fights with people left and right it doesn't matter he was always going to be the person that I, I loved how he was always i'm i'm for everybody in the background i'm i speak for the for the speakless and speechless and i just i can't I, I i i truly speak for everybody else but uh oh hey by the way i know i'm new here give me the belt i'm money give me the belt i know who i am give me the belt i want the belt you know what? I'm I'm glad he's he's gone. I just I'm I'm so so happy that the way it worked out and everything like that. I the for me honestly the worst case scenario for AEW was this. They just got the elite to sign back on and if they would have left and then you had this drama backstage with CM Punk. So now you have CM Punk gone and the elite gone, AEW is finished. Okay. I can't sit here and just tolerate this level of disrespect to a legend. I mean, there's a guy here who had one of the iconic moments of Rampage. He's a former world champion, unbelievable on the mic, even into his 40s. I mean, he's got a great history with a guy like John Cena and a guy like Edge. Now, obviously, I'm talking about Father of the Year, Christian Cage. As far as CM Punk goes, he can kick rocks. It was always about, it was never if he was going to act a fool, it was always about when. I, I think we covered this in depth last time. CM Punk basically is doing a 90s Shawn Michaels impersonation or Hulk Hogan impersonation. He is a backstage locker room cancer. He is constantly getting into fights. I don't know if the reports of him lunging in, at Tony Khan are true. If they are, Tony obviously made the right call. Even if they aren't, dude, you can't keep fighting your coworkers. I understand that wrestling is, is more like a sport and it gets physical. But at some point, be an adult, grow up, just because you don't like everything that everyone else does, especially because you're CM Punk, dude. You were the guy who was known for being rebellious and who wouldn't fall in line. You would have never, ever tolerated Triple H or The Undertaker or anybody else telling you how you need to be CM Punk. So for you to turn into the thing that you hate is fascinating to me. And, and, and to Doug's point, worst case scenario is that the elite leaves and then you're stuck with Punk. I don't trust him. I don't trust his body. I don't trust his mind. I don't trust his ego. Exactly what John Moxley said about him was 100% true. He is fragile. It was the right call to take a shot on him. It, you missed, you move on. 
be gone. Don't let the door hit you on the backside and the way out. I never want to see him in AEW again, ever. Yeah, uh, the fact that um, all the stuff that happened, uh, especially like I know, like the whole thing with Luke Perry, or not Luke, yeah, Jack Perry, sorry, I want to call him Luke. But with the whole thing with Jack Perry and the fact that he wanted to use a real glass, Crimey River, um, I I thought that um, I, I I see what Punk was trying to do, but like he's trying to get over, and I didn't, and just as long as he was the one taking it, I let him take it. it it's gonna hurt. Let him know that, but but if they're gonna go through like uh, the stuff like from King of King of the Ring, no, that needs to be sure glass. That you don't you don't want to have the same thing that happened with Kurt Angle and Shane McMahon bleeding everywhere and concussions afterwards. Yeah, you don't want that. So the fact that it but was truthfully that, though, is that Punk's place though? Like, shouldn't management step in if you really have a problem with this? Like, why is CM Punk deciding what wrestler spots can be done? Tony, so supposedly management did step in, and then he didn't listen, and so they went to CM Punk, and they're like, maybe he'll listen to Punk, and so like that's so like, management okay. told Punk to do this because Punk kind of ran Collision because they literally yeah. had a sheet of people that are not allowed to be on here, you mm-hmm. know, and. And that list got updated. It was the list of punk, and people were put on that list. <laughs> yeah, and I, well, that's a bigger institutional problem, in my opinion. Tony should have taken, you know, got in there and been like, "All right, so you really need to do this. Let's, you know, like if they want to clear it with punk, maybe if punk would have came up to him, like, hey, why do you need to have real glass?" But watching the spot, it, I think it had to be that way because if he would have gone through that car, he then had to deal with the sugar glass, which will cut you, but. Still, like, it looks way better if it's just a regular windshield. And, yeah, they just, you know, like, all they have to do is call Safe Light, you know, they'll be in there in a half hour or whatever to replace the windshield. So, but... Uh, and they're a sponsor of today's show. Yeah, <laughs> but it would have been... <laughs> it would have been... Uh, and it also depends on when he planned it. Like, if he planned it a week in advance, you know, there could have been other conversations. Like, hey, let's do it this way so, you know, it won't hurt you as bad or we can make it look way better if we do it this way. But if he was like, you know, like an hour prior, like, yeah, we're just going to do this, then that's that's Jack's fault. But uh, I think the way that Punk went up and tried to talk to him, I think, was probably the incorrect way of doing things. But it is sad to see him. Quick question for all three of you, though. Am I to understand that CM Punk got into a fight with the elite, got suspended backstage and was then given a position in management, essentially, of his own show when he returned? It's yeah, like because he's big money Phil. Yeah, it's like every one CEO, bill Phil. You fail up one bill Phil. Yeah. Phil Collins. That's it. I, I don't even know what to say to that other than like, wow, okay. So he I, th- so he gets he got into a fight with the VPs, and then they said we were promoting you to an, a collision VP. Essential. Yep. I mean, because like if you think about it, you know, and we had talked about this when this all went down a year ago, and I, I you know, somebody had said I think maybe it was Doug had said like you would remove you'd strip the elite of the EVP titles because like that's not what an EVP does an EVP doesn't barge into someone's locker room and then get into a fight you know that's just not something mm-hmm. you do and in the same way like they should have been stripped of their titles punk should have had his title that he had i mean like even if it's a not a legit title you know like he he and i mean like you know uh, being the EVP of collision because he had all these demands that they had to meet and then it all came to a head. And, you know, I, I think the analogy I like to give is when I play a sports game, I like to put myself and all my friends in there and I don't have to deal with any heartache. I don't have to deal with any backstage drama because we're all great players, you know, Blaine Madden or NHL or what, what have you. And you don't have to deal with the backstage stuff. And that's to me is punk in a nut, nutshell. 
You know, he's somebody that's like, it's super easy to have him in a game. And if you're playing as him or, or you have him as part of the roster, that's easy. But you have to deal with the other stuff too. And and that's what's really hard. And, you know, I, I said a year ago, I do think that he'll go back to WWE at some point. I actually still think that. I think that he will show up in, in WWE at some point in time. May not have to, I don't know if he'll wrestle for them, but I know that he'll show up at some point in time. Anybody, anybody saying no to that? I, yeah, I, I feel I think I'm going to say no to that. Punk be a, a Disney princess. <laughs> I don't I don't buy that Triple H is uh, Triple H was 100% validated by CM Punk's actions over the last year. All the things that he said about Punk where everyone said, "Oh, this is Hunter and this is the WWE." Okay, but we didn't have that excuse anymore and CM Punk was the exact same person. I will be shocked if we ever I, I truly don't believe he's going. I think he's also just done with wrestling. Like I think he is just burned out. I think wrestling isn't what he wants. I think he's done. Like I don't think we're ever going to see him in the ring again. I, I think that if we saw him in the ring, it'd be a Brock Lesnar schedule. Like Survivor Series is in Chicago. I'm not saying that he'll be there necessarily, but it wouldn't shock me if he was. You know, it, like it, it would not be as big of a shock. I think maybe for you, I think I'd be like, oh yeah, like that. That kind of makes sense. And Survivor Series is essentially sold out right now for for WWE. So it's he's not going to move tickets. But you know, in the same way The Rock appeared on SmackDown the other night. You know, that was not a planned thing. And it's a way to like get people to be like, hey, if you come to our show, you're going to see big, big things happen. And I, I could see CM Punk showing up. Yes, but is he going to do it to announce that he's going to be in the Royal Rumble? And then he goes away. And then because if you give him the creative and say, hey, you're at Royal Rumble, then you can do this at WrestleMania, and, you know, because he'll want to go over and then just say, can you do the job the next pay-per-view, you know, or PLE? Um, but I'm wondering if that's what if that would be some type of deal. If he was to come in, I think that would be the only only way, and it would be like for six months, and then he's out. And then, Maybe. And yeah. then, then I think then then I'm good. Just let him have that final WWE run. Call call it a day. Um, but yeah, that's that's just uh, you know, it is Phil Brooks. No, I I think his contract would he he's going to demand too much in his contract, especially after mm-hmm. Tony Khan gave him everything mm-hmm. he wanted. Uh, one of the things that was noticed about uh. Tony Khan, when he fired CM Punk, was all his contracts have been released. So mm-hmm. he didn't just have the the wrestler contract. He had the management contract. I'm pretty sure he had an advertising contract. I'm sure he had something else along those lines. And every single one of them had to be released in order for him to be gone from the company like he is. Um, it's he He's going to go – if he ever went to WWE again, it – you would have to have him on a set thing. He would only be able to do this. He would only be able to do this. You were going to have so much red tape lawyers and everything all over that, that if he disobeys one thing, he's absolutely gone. And punk won't have that punk punk likes nope. his, his freeness, uh, his ability to just run and control things. Cause if it's not, if he's not going to get his way, nope, he's going to, he also he's, didn't he's gonna walk he... away. He walked out on WWE, correct? He left. He said, mm-hmm. I don't like this. I'm out of here. Of the people who have walked out on WWE, how many have ever come back? I would say almost all. Quite a few. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not talking about leaving. I'm talking about you walked out before your contract was over. How many of them truly came back? Stone Cold. And, yeah, Stone Cold is obviously a huge one, but Stone Cold that, is the one I'm thinking of. There's, there's smaller ones, too. Um, Lesnar didn't walk out of his contract. Expired. But, expired. He was done. I know Jesse Ventura, mm. I mean, he eventually came back and did business with him. I don't know the situations of his contract. And there there were a lot of people that, like, towards the end, they were either bitter or they just, like, either sat out their contract. There were issues that took place. I mean, like, Bret Hart yeah. punched the owner in the face. 
And that's a little different because Brett Vince knew what he did. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, the and, and they one, didn't make peace for twenty years, right? I mean, it was a long time. I think the only one that I can think of that never made peace was Nails, because Nails like was choking out Vince from <laughs> reports. Oh, oh. Uh, it was a pay dispute. Nails like grabbed him and yeah. like I guess you know. That's the only one I can think of. But Jeff Jarrett didn't come back for a very long time. And he he really never wrestled again. I want to say he came back for the Rumble. That might be the only guest appearance that he did. Oh, and he did SummerSlam as a ref. Yeah, Um, did Warrior and everything. Warrior didn't really come back. He he did the Hall of Fame, but that was it. Warrior never really appeared. But usually after the first time that he was let go when he held him up for the money, and then he came mm-hmm. back, but then he went to WCW, and at that point in time, it was kind of the end of his. Career. Oh, so, I thought he held him up in '96. Okay, so yeah, he did come back then. Yeah, so I mean, there there were like people I think that come back. So it, that's why I'm saying it wouldn't shock me for Punk. Now, obviously Vince, and there's we'll do a whole nother podcast about Vince and TKO and all that stuff because Vince might be on his way out. We never know. So, but there's <laughs> there's something said about like, hey, he still owes Dana White a fight, so he's got to come <laughs> back for one. <laughs> yeah. What do you so, what yeah. do you think the creative meeting looks like when CM Punk sits down and Triple H starts laying out his plans for him for the next six months? Oh, it, it's gonna be amazing! I want to be a fly on that wall on that wall. <laughs> That'd be great. I don't okay, think they can ever que- get those two in the room. No. Final question about Punk for you guys: How much money would you pay for a a full behind like Dark Side of the Ring rise and fall of CM Punk? Are we talking Basically, like the all starter like sort of situation? Uh, I'm talking like, remember the self-destruction of the Ultimate Warrior? If they said, I will, we will basically reveal everything that happened, AEW and WWE, full retrospective of everything behind the scenes with Punk throughout the years, how much money is that worth to you? If we're talking like a Kickstarter, I would easily put 100 bucks towards that. Easily. Yeah, if if not more. If it's independently made where WWE and AEW have no say and it's just whatever they record and then someone puts it together... Uh, yeah, yeah, I think a hundred would be definitely worth it, worth it, especially if you can throw in Matt, if you can actually throw in good, uh, visuals of matches and not just have like some, someone's cell phone from this angle, just have the real, real footage that would be well worth a hundred bucks. Um, uh, pretty sure that there'd be other ways to get it, but still a hundred dollars to see that would be, that would be something that would be something. Doug. I'm I'm with them. I mean, I'm I'm gonna win this big Powerball coming up, and and we we will start investing money into this, uh, and I, I bet we make it all back plus some. All right, I'm good on Punk forever. Yep. All right. Uh, so rest uh, in peace. Yeah, all right. <laughs> um, one thing that I think is uh, interesting that is happening though is that uh, AEW might have uh, not talked the real number for their attendance uh, of eighty one thousand over at Wembley Stadium. Uh, they said through the turnstiles, they said it was about 72,000. So got to ask, Aaron, what do you think that 9,000 uh, person uh, report difference is? Is that WWE doing the whole, um, we had 90,000 or whatever, the Silver Dome? <laughs> yeah, yeah. so uh, there, there was uh, WrestleNomics and like WrestleTicks on, on Twitter. They do a really great job of breaking some of this stuff down. And one of the things that they had shown was that at a lot of AEW events, that people buy tickets and don't show up. Now, that could be a myriad of reasons, right? In particular, I guess, for, for London, it was a bank holiday. And so they, you know, that weekend, a lot of people were gone. But also, you have like, you know, 80,000 people trying to get to the stadium. So your uh, your public transit is, you know, essentially bottlenecked. And there were people that were like, you know what, I just, I guess I don't want to go. You know, they bought like a $30 ticket. 
eh, you know, I don't want to go to this. So you do have a percentage of the of the population that that does that. Even for the dynamite that Doug and I went to that Wednesday after, it was a fairly empty arena. And it was when I took a look at how many tickets were sold, I was like, I don't think there were even that many people there. And they said that like through the turnstile that there's like about 8% that don't show up. So, and that could be a myriad of, of different things. I do think one of the things though that should, well, I, you know, WWE inflates their numbers. AEW is trying to do a good job of being as accurate as possible. And that 81,000 is of people that paid, even though there were only 72 that came through. That's still a pretty big accomplishment, I think, because if you have 72,000 people in a place to see a wrestling event, that's not a WrestleMania. That's a pretty big deal. I think that this was the biggest um, North American uh, wrestling, uh, Western world, I should say, wrestling event that was not a WrestleMania. Um, let me see. Uh, yes, that was supposed to be the biggest one um, in the Western world. I, obviously, there's two that happened in Korea that had 150,000 people in it. You know, we'll mandatory take that attendance. Yeah, because no. <laughs> uh, WrestleMania three and WrestleMania thirty two. Uh, thirty two was the largest gathering of people in the Western Hemisphere. This is the largest one that's not WrestleMania. So I still think that's a pretty big accomplishment for a T-shirt company that was allegedly only be able to get what couldn't get ten thousand. Are we really saying only seventy two thousand? Like that just sounds hilarious to me. Like oh well, you only got seventy two thousand people, so ah uh, poo poo on you. I'm like okay. No, and there's a lot of people that, I mean, you're talking about through the turnstile aspect. So, I mean, if in an event like this, how many VIP people are showing up? How many workers are showing up? Workers aren't showing up through a turnstile. Um, if you want to count uh, the wrestlers, the the vending staff, uh, but the VIP people aren't entering through via turnstiles. They're going through a door that goes to an elevator that leads them to their press box. Uh, press even also you're it's they easily could have had 80,000 people there um, and, and still had missing people that didn't show up you know like you know they got sick or a death in the family or something along those lines and they didn't want to show up but you could have easily gotten 81,000 people there still if you include everything else that is uh, encompassing of all the people that are there. I'm very curious what it's going to do next year. You know, in, in Europe, and in, in particular the UK, you don't have many wrestling events, you know, especially from a big wrestling company like AEW or WWE. And WWE is teasing about going there for WrestleMania at some point, and I think that that'll do really big numbers. But I am very curious what they're going to do this next year because, you know, as I had mentioned, that Dynamite that Doug and I went to, it was not very well attended. And even, you know, I've been seeing... You know, some of the things from WrestleTix when they're talking about how many tickets have been distributed for uh, AEW events. It kind of, I don't want to say it worries me, but I do think AEW is oversaturating markets. And when you go to Chicago, <laughs> you know, you, you literally have Dynamite Collision and then All Out. And prior to that, in June, you had the same, you had um, uh, Dynamite and Collision as well. So, I mean, like you're going to a market within three months. And don't get me wrong, you know, All Out was uh, very well attended, but there's still some open spots. There's probably, I guess, 10% that, that were open uh, for that and for the United Center. And like I said, Dynamite was, it, it was pretty, I was shocked at how few people were there for Dynamite. I, I think there was a lot of fallout, though, the fact, too, that they knew CM Punk wasn't going to be there. Yeah. And if he wasn't going to be there, yeah. they weren't showing up. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that goes into a lot of the case of people bought tickets, but mm -hmm. they just didn't show. Yeah, and they tried to resell them and stuff, and they were unable to. And, and that happens. Also, I mean, 
so like I, you guys are all in Chicago. You've had, like you said, a dynamite uh, collision twice plus a pay-per-view within three months. Out here, I've had one dynamite and I'll get a collision soon and we're getting a last minute pay-per-view. There are some markets that are just getting oversaturated. If they'd run that, let's say all out was in Seattle, I would have absolutely gone because I only get to see it once a year. So there are markets that are still untapped, but what they need to do is less of the Chicago shows. You know, Chicago can still have two shows a year. That's totally fine. But Los Angeles needs more than one show every three years. Uh, Seattle needs more than one show a year, right? Start branching out, start going to those places. You can't just keep hitting basically Chicago, the Northeast, the Southeast, and then every now and then you branch out to Texas, right? Like Denver needs a show. Vegas gets double or nothing, but I feel like that's it. So branch out a little more. Like you're, you're... Sorry, I was going to say, and even double or nothing was not well attended. You know, and the paper you wasn't good. It wasn't a good buildup, but that wasn't even a very well attended yep. review. And, you know, and they, even Arthur Ashe, they were having issues with that. But uh, for Chicago, and while I like the fact that I can see them, you know, they had Thanksgiving, they've been going to, uh, for the Thanksgiving show every year, the last like three, four years. And we went to one together, uh, myself, Andy and Doug, I didn't go to the next one, you know, like, so it was like, you know, because I'm going to see them again. So they're going to be here realistically. They're in the Chicago market, I think 10 times a year. Like, I'm not even like overstating that. I think it's about 10 times because you have, you had the three shows, you had two before that, you're going to have two after. And I think that one like in, in February or something like that. So that's a lot to go to in one market. WWE comes here twice a year, I think. That's probably where they should probably keep it from that this point on, but twice, twice, just, yeah, two, I'm not saying twice, 10 I, times. I'm just yeah. saying have them come twice. Quarterly. They could do a thing where they do the Wednesday to Saturday show if they want, or the Wednesday, Saturday, and Sunday show. And I think wrestlers will appreciate that, especially if they fly in, you know, on Tuesday, they leave on Monday, but uh, they're in that market that entire time if they want. And hypothetically, they could do, you know, all the shows live if they really, really wanted to. Um, The thing, though, I feel like you could do, though, is in Illinois, Illinois is a very large state. You can go down to Peoria. You know, you could do you could go to Peoria and do do something there at the the Civic Center. No, you no. could go to the Quad Cities. You no. know, like you can go to these different, slightly different locations where somebody from St. Louis is going to drive up to Peoria to see it, but they may not want to drive to Chicago because that's a pretty. How about you just go to St. Louis? Yeah, or St. Louis. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I mean, I mean, go to Indianapolis. There's plenty of places yeah. in the Midwest that you could hit. Go to Milwaukee, go to Minnesota, mm-hmm. right? Like there are enough places you can be in that Chicago area where you can still pull from those fans who are willing to make that drive. But yeah, you can't keep going just to Chicago time and time and time and time. I mean, it's like I can, like you said, 10 times this year. That's 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 absurd. That's just too much. I think that was in Punk's contract. Yeah, I'm surprised about that. One thing I was surprised at was we got to see the entire Knight family walk Soraya out for her... Uh, uh, win her AEW title win. So I, I got to ask Roger, what were your thoughts? The fact that, uh, well, she came out with every her entire family, but the fact that she won her uh, first AEW title. I mean, cool special moment for her. Obviously, like she's battled through injuries and a pretty unfortunate situation with the whole sex tape, and you know she's had obviously the really bad relationship with Del Rio. So she's had gone through some stuff. I, I don't mind the feel good moment. The thing I don't like about this is that in many ways, the women's division feels directionless and that they're just ping ponging the title between person to person to person. Now look, Jamie Hader got hurt. So I understand why you put it on Tony storm. And then you wanted to give Hikaru Shida a rightful win in front of the fans. I get that. And then you want to give Paige just feel good. Mo- okay. So hold on. 
ping, ping, ping. I mean, you know, for a, a division that really doesn't get a lot of time, your world championship should feel special. And it's kind of hot potatoing right now. I don't have a problem with Soraya, but she, her strength isn't in the ring anymore. She only wrestles a few matches between the pay-per-view, maybe only one. I don't want to see her have a long reign. Quite honestly, I'm disappointed that Tony Storm isn't the champion because I think she's doing the best character work of maybe anybody in the company, but certainly by far in, in the women's division. So I want to see more stories. I want to see more stables. I want to see more Mercedes, Monet, and just I want to see this division start to feel like the way that we felt the NXT women's division was, where it was important and it was a big deal and it was main event worthy and they had multiple storylines going at the same time. I feel like a broken record because we said this so many times. Was there, what, one match at, at All Out? Was it just one women's match in London? I mean, my gosh, really? You could only find one match? That, that's, that's rough. That's real rough. And it was a four-way on top of it, right? Like they couldn't even gather up like a Bailey versus Sasha Banks sort of storyline. It's... Yeah, it was happy. Yeah. No, I, I can appreciate the feel good moment. Um, obviously, they are not WWE because WWE doesn't let you win in your hometown um, <laughs> too often. Uh, it, I don't mind it being a four way match and the fact that you and, and how it ended, I thought it was really, really good too, storyline wise. So it, it's fine, but like uh, Roger and Anna were saying, uh, she's already had a, a long career. Uh, not even necessary. It, it got cut short due to injury, but it's that injury scare too that she needs to be. I don't mind her there. I don't mind her helping out the the girls in the back, giving them a bump because whoever does beat her is going to get a little bit of a bump. So it's just a matter of who and when. Uh, so hopefully this is a short reign for her. But um, I have no problem with her winning the title. Feel good moment. Why not in the UK? Sure, have a have a day, have a feeling and. Just let's. I'm I'm ready to move on, and that's kind of sad. No, we're good. All right. So, uh, speaking of uh, certain uh, interesting things that did happen over at uh, both All In and All Out, um, Moxley defeated Orange Cassidy uh, in a non-feel good moment because Orange Cassidy, I thought, really did something with uh, the title, and unfortunately, now Moxley has it. So. Uh, but uh, then now he doesn't. But anyways, but at least at All Out, he, uh, Moxley did win the title. So uh, I, I do have a question about this, Doug, for you. Do you think that this was the right move uh, to have Orange Cassidy, you know, do the job, as we would say? I, I don't even think it is a, uh, a job aspect of it. You had Orange Cassidy going and performing, and you're trying to make him a legit star, you have to eventually you have to run into the big bad people i think uh this kind of reminded me of the year i think it was daniel bryan and john cena both won the u.s title and the intercontinental title at wrestlemania they wanted to prop up the belt to a a bigger or higher caliber of everything like that you have orange cassidy finally facing a main event person you are now elevating the belt to a main event level um having that that match was amazing it absolutely was. I enjoyed that match. It had the logical conclusion, though. Uh, but I think it, it both elevated the belt and Orange Cassidy, even in the loss. He is now a main event wrestler. He went up against John Moxley, took him toe-to-toe, and elevated his game. Now, where you go after it, that's here to say. But 
he can. He can be that person that goes and let's all right, let's have him face um you know, I mean he already did face Chris Jericho, but have him face some people that, you know, like Adam Page, have him face uh other people. And he can be that lovable loser that everybody he he is putting in the effort finally. He's he's actually trying and he's just coming up short, but he's elevating his game every single time to be somebody that can and eventually will win the AEW title and he'll be legitimate when he does it. Um I I'm excited for Orange Cassidy. I'm a big Orange Cassidy fan. Uh so I'm I'm excited to see what he does from here. And it really showed that he can he can put on a main event match. He was the main event of that night and I think that was one of my favorite matches of that night. Uh and he came away, yeah, he he lost. But he can now build himself back up. He can he can go and face other people, and maybe you do put him into a title run uh, eventually. Um, but I have no problem with this because it's the logical conclusion. Should Moxley ever lose to Orange Cassidy? Absolutely not. Not now. Not at what it is. So Orange Ca- uh, Moxley wins the title. Good for him. You elevate the title. You elevated Orange Cassidy. You accomplished everything that you wanted in that match. Yeah, and I will say, Doug and I were there to watch Moxley win the title live. Uh, we actually have seen Moxley win two titles live, mm-hmm. when I think about it. Uh, the Orange Cassidy really showed something at Revolution 2020 when he wrestled against Pac and lost. And he showed that he can wrestle, that he can go. And I, I actually kind of like what they've done with this character, how he has evolved a little bit over time. I think that of there were a number of people that AEW hired at the beginning that they kind of just started like getting rid of because I, you know, for one reason or another, they, I don't want to say didn't belong on national TV, but maybe with the caliber of talent they had elsewhere, they didn't need to have them on TV. I know obviously it's a joke, but like, you know, Marco stuff, right? Like kid is four foot six. He did not belong in a wrestling ring with like Christian, for example. Right. And there was a guy that they had in a battle Royal who didn't have legs, you know, it was just like very weird. And that they had a number of other people that in my opinion, I don't think belonged in a ring. Orange Cassidy was one of those people that people talked about that didn't belong. And I think orange Cassidy really proved a lot of people wrong. Now, is he smaller? Yes, but he presents himself as a superstar. I think that's the biggest thing when you compare him to like a Marco son is that orange Cassidy, you're like, that's kind of a little weird, but then you see him and he like, he puts on a clinic, and, and that's the thing I really appreciate about Orange Cassidy. And this match deserved to be in the main event. Uh, currently, right now, it's the second highest rated AEW pay-per-view of all time on cagematch.net. I think rightfully so. This is my dark horse right now. Or I shouldn't even say dark horse. This is my uh, Right now, uh, it's a, the contender for my uh, video of the year that for our awards that we do. You know, this AEW All Out 2023, I went in with very low expectations. And I got to say, I think that it was probably AEW's best pay-per-view they've done so far this year. That said, I'm very happy with what they're doing. Moxley was entitled quickly as a little suspect. We'll find out more what's going on with him. But I do like the direction they've been going with Orange Cassidy. I think, to me, it's about how the story you told. And the story you told with OC was that progressively he was getting worn down and beaten down, and he was a fighting champion time and time again. I think he set the record. He beat Jade's record, I want to say, for most title defenses. He went through everyone. And now he was in essentially the main event for the first time one-on-one against a guy in which there is no shame in losing. John Moxley has beaten every big name in AEW at some point in time. He's beaten Brian Danielson. He had beaten Punk. He has beaten Omega. 
So there's no shame to losing him. I don't agree that it's a job. I think this was a glorious loss. It elevated him in that championship in defeat. He stepped in and proved that he belongs. Kind of to Aaron's point, I think a lot of people thought he was just a joke character. And now you look at him as a legitimate main eventer. And I actually disagree with Doug in that he should beat Moxley because he wasn't even fresh and he took Moxley to the absolute limit. If you said right now that they were going to headline a next pay-per-view or a special dynamite and go one-on-one, I have no problem with a fresh and rejuvenated Orange Cassidy finally getting the win because that's storytelling to me. That means, hey, I show that I belong here. I think I wouldn't have a problem with him becoming a main event champion at some point in time, whereas you know maybe a year ago I would have had questions. This is how you build a star. This is what I always want from WWE. This is what I liked about NXT. I believe Orange Cassidy, the same way that I believe Johnny Gargano back in the day. I believe that OC can be that guy. And that's that's what AEW, AEW's job is, to build guys to be the next tier. Yeah, I and that's, uh, I guess uh, we'll never agree on this, but still it was uh, in, a, in a very, uh, probably one of the top 10 candidates of match of the year. So um, Bullet Club Gold versus Elite happened. So uh, I, I got to ask Roger, did you think that the Bullet Club Gold needed to be there uh, over at All In to take I mean, I say they. I don't know that I say need, but I'm glad they did. I certainly enjoy, I mean, look, every time I watch Jay White, I enjoy him more and more. Uh, They're just fantastic. Juice Robinson is maybe one of the most ridiculous characters in wrestling, and I'm here for it. Like somebody pitched that great idea of uh, like the Gargano segment part two, but with Juice and Tony Storm with their outrageous characters. And uh, give me 10 minutes of that every single week. It would be amazing. So I'm, I'm glad the Bullet Club Gold is getting more and more wins. I would love to see them elevated as kind of the new faces of Collision. You know, once upon a time, I think to start the year, um, Aaron had talked about like, oh, you're going to have the guns win the title. And now the guns winning the championship actually seems like I have no problem with that. I think they've elevated their game. I think Juice Robinson absolutely would have no problem with him winning a TNT championship or him winning the Intercontinental Cha- or International Championship. And Jay White, yeah, he is every bit as advertised. I always wondered what people saw in him. I see every bit of it now. He is a true main event star. AEW is lucky to have him. I have no problem with him going over the elite. I, good match, good characters. I mean, uh, what do they call it? Car- is it card cardboard or, or card blade? The, the, the cutout that they bring to Jay White? <laughs> I think it's card I blade. Can, yeah. Card blade. I cackle. I'm howling every time I see it. It's so stupid. And they, they all buy in. I mean, it's just funny, right? It just They're a good heel stable that knows exactly who they are, and they play off their strengths. Jay White can be funny, and he's a scumbag, and the guns are goofy. I mean, it's just – I love it. I love everything about it. I have no complaints. I'm very happy with where they are right now with Bullet Club Gold. Uh, they have come over and, and done a great job. Um, I wasn't much of a Jay White fan in, when he first started in New Japan Wrestling, but I saw what he could do, and I could see what he can continue to do, and he can. He can be absolutely a main event person, uh, and I think that this was a good win for them and and elevates all of them uh, to, to a great status. I think right now I would say Juice Robinson is my underrated wrestler of the year. He, he is just phenomenal in the ring, and even, even some of the stuff you see when he's like not in the – in the tag match and the stuff that he's doing on the outside is just over the top, hilarious and great all at the same time. So uh, very excited for what Bullet Club Gold can do in the future. I think the guns are doing some of the best work, tag team work in AEW right now. I think that they have that they have what they need, which is they have a good look. They have an amazing entrance. Maybe a, like it might be the best entrance in AEW. And 
they're fine enough in the ring. Like, do they oversell? Yes. Uh, but are they good at what they do? Absolutely. You know, when I poo-pooed them about winning the tag titles and, and they actually won, I was like, oh my God. But like now it, it's, I'd be okay with them winning, you know, from, uh, from FTR. I, I do want to say too, um, I, I love Jay White and I'm very similar with Doug. When he first came out in JPW, I was like, who is this guy? Joining Bullet Club, growing the, the, the beard. I think it really, I don't know. There's something that switched for him. And I will say for me, the jury is out on Juice Robinson. There's something about his over the top antics that I don't like. I'm not saying I hate him, you know, but there's something about him that I'm not like, I'm not as pleased to see him as I am the other three, you know, if, he's if that from Schomburg and you're from Naperville. No, no, no. He's no, he's from Joliet, which is or whatever. Yeah. Um, but then again, I, I'll say this too. I didn't like Swerve in WWE. I, I, in NXT, I did not like him at all. I thought that he was really bad. And he came to AEW and they're like, this is a big sign. I'm like, is it? I love Swerve. I think that Swerve, you know, he's, he has a feud going with Adam Page right now. I hope Swerve wins the AEW title. I, I love what he's doing. I was mad that he didn't take the international title off Orange Cassidy. And, and I absolutely love the, the work that he's been doing. So, so what I'm saying, to get back to Juice, um, I, I don't know if the Juice is worth a squeeze. <laughs> it is for Tony Storm. So we, 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 we will see. We will see. We, you know, for me, I'm not saying I hate him, but like, it, it, we'll, we'll kind of see how it goes. Aaron, That's can it. I ask I you a serious question about yeah. Swerve then? Yeah. Does this mean now that you're such a Swerve fan that every time Prince Nana comes out, you're mimicking his dance? <laughs> yeah. Uh, by the way, he now does cameos. Yep. Yep. Oh, sweet. There we Aaron go. lives in the Swerve house. I, I do. I do. I, we I, all I, live in Swerve's house. I, <laughs> and I will say, too, there have been some start stops with Swerve, too. Uh, you know, with the, when he hired those two uh, big roided up guys that looked like the one that had tattoos all over his face, I was like, what are you doing? Like, you brought hey, away hey. Like, leave her from Jesse Soleil that you should really get two big... <laughs> you big guys to, oh. yeah. but i mean that was the thing like there, there were some start stops with him but i i do like what they've been doing with swerve you know i i, I think that he's been he's been fantastic as of late mm -hmm. even though we were talking about juice but you know i, I was able to throw a swerve reference in there Are you swerve, it was a swerve? yep <laughs> we already have one dad look, joke we don't need a second one look, look russo would love me right now all right <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the other thing that that uh, was pretty good, Mero took on uh, Hobbs, and uh, of course, uh, Doug. I, I gotta I gotta ask you a question. I heard a certain chant, and I just want to confirm who started that. So can you uh, tell us about that chant? Well, I mean, it, it was an inevitability coming. Uh, it was one of those things that I, I always try to yell stupid stuff at wrestling events. Um, I try always try to you know like. I, I've done stupid things like I think of the impact was the greatest one where I started the USA chant when it was Bobby Roode versus uh, some other guy that wasn't from USA. And so it was just one of those things as like I was trying to think of things to yell at this match and, and everybody was doing the meat thing and everything like that. I was like, oh, man, you know, uh, you know, we always do fight forever. You know what? Meet forever. Let's just yell meet forever. And then sure enough, yeah, our, our small little section caught on to it. And it didn't get a, a huge traction, but then the next time, uh, it really went throughout the the whole arena, and it it I, I'm gonna say I mean it's, like I said, it was inevitability because we all were chanting stuff that just 
was normal, like this is awesome, would you know would be in a champ. But nah, nah, this is meat. Obviously, is going to be chanted. I didn't start that one, but I got the meat forever uh, chant started, and I, I'm I was tickled to death when Tony Khan just, just hashtagged it. And, and and all the other stuff that came on. So yeah, it was it was uh it was one of my prouder moments, I guess, at a pay-per-view for for chance started and and why not? I, I it was that crowd made that match so much better than what it should have been. And uh but I mean honestly if you did, if you just if you muted and actually watched the match, that match was a lot better than I expected. I thought this was gonna be a match that should be just oh it's like Man, this should just be on like Rampage. Why is this on on a pay per view? They gave them the time. They gave them the the ability to put on a good match, and they did. They put on a great match. And now I'm not saying that they need to, but you know why? Why not? We have so many belts as it is. Let's have the meat belt, where it's just you have to weigh over 300, 250 pounds. You have to be over two hundred fifty pounds. You have to be pure muscle. We have the meat belt. Per, you know. And have it sponsored by like Oscar Mayer or something like that. <laughs> so I, I'll say, uh, Doug and I, we were we were pretty close. So we were like sixth, seventh row, something like that. And um, you know, uh, on the floor, I had great seats. The guys behind us uh, had been to every event that we went to. It was really funny. Uh, literally, they were at WrestleMania. They were at the NJPW event. They were at the last All Out. They went to everything that we had gone to. It was really funny. Great guys, and they were in on everything we were doing. They were, they were just like, yep. And so Doug started the Me Forever chant. And I got to say, I, one of the reasons that show was so good was, you know, partly the crowd atmosphere. And and we we helped make that show, I think, a little bit more than what it, it could have been. I don't even know what to say. Uh, I love that you started Me Forever. Look, the match was, was fun. I think it, it reminds me in, in a weird way of Rock Hogan, where like Rock Hogan was not a technical masterpiece. But the crowd atmosphere was so electric that it became just a spectacle and it was fun to watch. And that's kind of what happened with Hobbs and Mira. Like the meat chant was hilarious. Like I had this image in my head of Biggie just going nuts on his couch. Like I, I would pay so much money to hear Biggie commentary for that match. Like, and that's what everyone's obviously referencing with the big meaty men slapping meat. I mean, it's just what I like is variety in, in wrestling, right? Variety is the spice of life. I don't need 15 matches like this, but one good, just hoss fest on a card of a bunch of smaller guys works well. And this, mm -hmm. like, once again, just way to use your talent. I'd happily see a rematch. So, uh, did, did, did Lana come out as hot and flexible? Is that really what they showed in her video? I, I don't know why, but everything that Miro does makes me just laugh hysterically. <laughs> I also love that she came to the uh, the stage and posed while her husband's getting beat up in the ring. <laughs> well, I mean, look, you have to show that she's hot and flexible. That's right. I was hoping that she would trip and fall just like, uh, was it was it Sunny that did that? Titus? At uh, the United oh. Center pay-per-view that we went to, uh, Spring Stampede. Who was it? The Was it Sunny? Not Sunny, a Tammy Lynn Cinch, maybe? Or... Major Guns, maybe, from WCW? Oh, it was someone who'd made their big return to help uh, someone out, and she went down the ring, she was wearing these high heels, and she wiped out. It was at Spring Stampede uh, back in, like, 98. Tori Wilson? No. Um, let's go. No, either way. Either way. Um, yep. Yeah. The, uh, it, I will say, it, it, was, it was fun to, to be able to, to see that. Um, lastly, AEW, the biggest program that they have right now, which is, you know, apropos because it's also involves the world title, 
is better than you, Bebe. And so we got Adam Cole, we got MJF. They had their match in front of uh, the largest crowd in AEW history. They are kind of keeping that going. Friendship is actually still alive right now. Doug, are you enjoying this storyline right now? And the the other thing I got to ask is, who would you have MJF face next? Because he's gone through some pretty good challengers. Who's next up on the docket? Um, I've liked what they've been doing with MJF. Uh, it's it's really turned me due to the fact that I think that he is one of those people that should always be a heel. Um, but this has been this has been fun. Uh, him and Adam Cole and everything that they're doing and. And you've seen uh, MJF actually hating some of the babyface stuff that he's doing. Uh, but I can also get behind the idea of this is our scumbag. You know, that he's still a scumbag, but he's he's our scumbag, so it's okay. We're, we're happy he's here and everything like that. So uh, it can be both a, a good, uh, a happy heel moment and stuff like that and cheer for the heel and everybody's happy. And, um you know, I, I've, I've loved what they've done with him and Samoa Joe, uh, everything with, with them, with him just getting pushed by Samoa Joe at All Out was uh, one of my favorite moments from that pay-per-view. And then to have that turn into what it was uh, with Samoa Joe winning the tournament and then now facing him at uh, Grand Slam. Grand Slam, yeah. Uh, and they put on a great match. Um and I think uh, Joe can appreciate the 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 heelish stuff that he had to do to win that match to hold on to his title. So uh, I feel bad for Joe because I think Joe deserves everything. I think Joe's right now my like favorite wrestler in AEW. Um, he has done so much for that company that he needs he needs a title run, uh, a decent title run with the actual belt, not the ROH TV Championship belt. But whatever. Um, as for the next competitor for him, do you have, do you have it go to Roderick strong right now, or do you have it be somebody else? Uh, I'm not a hundred percent sure on that one, but, um, whoever it's going to be, it's going to be fun. Uh, and whether it's just a small championship, you know, or, you know, small contenders now until you build up the next big storyline or big tournament, because, and that's one thing I do love about AEW. They love their little, small, little tournaments, which we all know who's going to win usually. But at the same time, if it's if it's right for the storyline, then so be it. Um, but you know, they they've d- developed Mach, or, uh, MJF into a great championship. I think this has been one of the better uh, AEW championship runs uh, in the company. So. Uh, I'm excited to see what they they continue to do. All right, and I th- I thought overall I was just uh, happy that they they were able to work uh, really well, especially when they won the ROH tiles, and especially after the match, and they still were still you know hanging out. I do like the fact that that has been continuing. Let's uh, let's just hope that uh, it continues for a few more uh, few more months uh, until, uh, especially since Adam Cole has uh, recently just got hurt. So. Hopefully they still can continue this and uh, move forward from uh, here on out. But uh, anyways, uh, let's talk about our sponsor, HostGator. Are you a blogger or a podcaster or you're just not happy with your web host? You can check out HostGator.com. You're going to find web hosting made easy and affordable. HostGator offers unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, one-click strip installs with a free set hands on the best control panel out there. Stop by today and try free demo to see how easy it is. And if you use a special coupon code, off the mark, you're going to save 25% off your web hosting packages. So what do you got to lose? Check out hosting.com and take a bite at your web hosting costs. Also, make sure you check out 686 off the mark page and click on the banner at the top 
same thing on ismwshop.com. So let's talk about Collision. So, uh, Roger, what do you think about everything that's happened with Collision and some of the things that have come to light from it? And is it going to continue to be basically Monday Night Nitro on a Saturday? Yeah, I mean, we talked about this earlier as far as the Collision kind of being CM Punk's, I don't know, own personal fiefdom. I mean, that is just very odd to me. But he's gone. We can move on from that. And I generally like what Collision has done. Other than really the punk stuff, I think Collision has been a great way to be a showcase for a lot of talent that wasn't getting enough time, really, on Dynamite. I would build around the Bullet Club Gold. I think they are the franchise pieces. Same with FTR. Ricky Starks, I feel like, is really getting a chance to break out on there. If I had a criticism, and it's the same criticism I make about Dynamite, is that I would like to see more of the women's matches, more of the stories, really build up that division better. I think Saturday Night Wrestling is a good slot for it. It has made Rampage somehow more relevant than it really already is. Like Rampage feels like dark to me right now. I, I don't watch Rampage. I don't care about Rampage. It's just not meaningful anymore. Christian Cage, you know, he's doing great work over there. Nigel consistently calling him father of the year after he does something awful to his daughter is maybe a highlight of every single night. Um, Christian Cage with his hilarious promos about everybody's dead father is fantastic. I mean, it's just... AW is very deep and it's got a big roster. And so a show like Collision is great. I'm glad that it's more of a soft roster split as opposed to a hard enforced, you can't show up. They don't have to do dumb things like a draft and a hard split and pretend like they're competing against each other. We're not idiots. Like you have a separate show. I would like to see some titles to be a little bit more exclusive. You know, one can have the TNT title. One can have the TBS title. The tag titles can mostly stay on Collision. I don't mind the world championship staying on Dynamite. Uh, God, I'm so glad that dumb real world championship is gone. I would like to see maybe more titles hard split. I'm glad the Ring of Honor titles aren't really a thing much anymore on the show because you've got enough. But it's been good so far. Like I, I actually think it's it's doing a lot better than you know. If you look at like Rampage when it started, it had a couple cool high moments, but then it very quickly turned into what you expect from the second show. Collision feels like one B, not like two, which I appreciate. Having been to the first collision and uh, seeing everything that has been going through it, uh, I can appreciate the fact that Dynamite and Rampage are filmed together. You have Collision, and they usually film some Ring of Honor together. So now you have two shows, basically, that are live, and then two shows that are taped, and you can do stuff at both of them. Um, I've liked the, I like the aspect that they are giving focus to uh, the people that aren't going to be focused necessarily on dynamite. And like uh, Roger said, it's nice that this is a soft split in the fact that you have seen the elite over there. Finally, you've seen uh, other people, but uh, I have no problem with a dedicated, like Roger said, TBS champion over there, TNT champion over here. Maybe they you know flip that so that they're actually on the, the network that they're performing for, where the TNT <laughs> is on, on collision and uh, TBS is on uh, dynamite. But you know, it, it, it also gives credence to the fact that maybe you have the, the women's champion on one and you have the TBS champion on the other. You have the TNT champion on one. You have the main WW or AEW champion on the other. Um, but they don't have to be exclusive to it. They can show up on either or. Um, you can have, you know, like, Ricky Starks is being uh, propped up there. Uh, I think the perfect solution to the loss of CM Punk or the the gain of CM Punk leaving, I'm going to start using it that way in a positive light. Uh, the gain of a, uh, AEW has is uh, they're getting back Daniel Bryan. 
and who who better to have over there? There's your your senior leadership. There's somebody who is great backstage and has been helping a lot of people backstage. And uh, if you listen to the post conference of All Out, uh, Daniel Bryan really sounds like he's actually running the show. Like literally, Tony Khan is like, yeah. If if anything, heaven forbid, anything happened to me, uh, I told my dad to listen to Daniel Bryan and give him the show. And it's like, that was really uh, enlightening to me to what's going on backstage uh, with everybody there and everything like that. Uh, Daniel Bryan can become the leader of the, of the locker room for, uh, yeah, for collision. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think that'd be a great way to go. I've been enjoying collision. I, I like how they have changed some of the things. I definitely agree with Doug and, and Roger on, you know, having a, the soft split and the, the titles being exclusive. The thing that I worry about, and I know we've talked about this before, so I'm going to take a different angle on it, is, you know, of course, the ratings for it. And the ratings have fallen off. We have college football. You're going to have a lot. Of, I mean, it's Saturday night as well. People do things on Saturday, you know? I mean, like, people go out and, and, and do stuff. And so people aren't going to be at home watching wrestling necessarily. Now, you might get some people watch it afterwards, or they might see clips of it. But that's not how you want people to, to watch your show. You want them to watch it live because it's important and, and uh, it's something that you want to see. The thing I worry about with AEW and let me say this. I like AEW. I want AEW to succeed. I want them to do great. I want them to be a, a real big number two rival for WWE. The thing that I worry about is when you have a show, you have Dynamite, and then a couple of days later, you have Collision. And a lot of times, they're in the same market. You're not selling that many tickets. I was just looking up right now to see what Collision was going to be selling or what they've uh, sold so far. And right now, Collision is set up only for 3,700 people. And they've only they've sold 3,100 tickets. So I mean, you know, you only have 600 tickets that are available. But if you're you know only having 3,000 seat arenas, that's not a whole lot. You know that that's kind of crazy. To me Raw and SmackDown do not show in the same arena. They don't show in the same town. And right now, Dynamite and Collision are doing that. And this is what we had talked about earlier with the oversaturation of the market. I worry that that's what's going to happen. And so I I hope that they do have two major shows. Because I think it's nice to give additional storylines and that people that don't get as much work give them additional work on a national level as opposed to on YouTube. But I do worry for the longevity of Collision in the same way I worried about it for Rampage. Rampage is now completely irrelevant. I know that they're trying to make it something, trying to make Fetch happen. Fetch isn't going to happen. I worry about that with Collision. And I worry that it's only going to be Rampage and that they're scaling too fast when they don't have enough markets that they can go to or that they've been going to in order to get enough tickets out there. So that's my worry when it comes to collision. One thing that I do have a huge problem with uh, that, that I think will happen. Uh, so there are reports saying that AEW is going to be coming to max. Do you think that that's going to affect uh, it's going to affect collision in this case where they just stop doing those Saturday shows and maybe, Maybe even uh, put that on Friday nights instead and then run their shows on Saturdays. I mean, do you think that's even a possibility or they're just going to kind of stick with what they're doing now, especially when they move next year? Well, Tony Khan had said that Collision could be like Heat, but Heat was the C show. <laughs> you know, like that, that that's not a uh, I don't think that that's a ring endorsement. You know, that's if you have a show on, on Saturday night. He and was actually it, talking about Sunday night Heat before SmackDown existed when it was the B show. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess that, that is a, a good point. But, uh, you know, to think about if you have, um, you know, if you have a market like Chicago and you have Dynamite, you have Collision, then you have All Out. You have three shows going in that same market. 
you if you have a Sunday pay-per-view, I mean, that's quite a bit to do, you know, back to back to back. That's a lot. And I know that you could say, well, WWE, they might have a pay-per-view and then they do Monday Night Raw the next day. And I, I can I can appreciate that point. But I do worry that they're doing too much too quickly, you know, for a pro, for a company that's, what, four years old now, I want to say. And I, I do worry that they're they are expanding too fast and that it could the bottom could fall from under them. Is it really expanding that fast? Or are they just trying to play? Because I, I believe that to me, it feels like he's playing catch up because he's like, I need those two shows. I also need this show as well. Um, I'm, that's how I'm taking this going on. Realistically, I think they could drop collision at this point and then just do uh, the, you know, the two shows a week and then maybe have collision only before pay-per-view or have collision only on like uh, HBO Max. I think they could do something like that. And I think that would work way better for them. But uh, I'd rather they drop Rampage if we're going to talk about dropping a show. Mm-hmm. You just do Sunday, you're going to have to do Sunday night pay-per-views is basically what you're going to have to do. It's going to be Collision on Saturday, and it'll be a Sunday night pay-per-view. Uh, the fact that they don't go – I mean, it, it's going to be the opposite of WWE where they do the show before the pay-per-view instead of um, after the pay-per-view. But – um, you do a, a Saturday night collision and then s- go right into the pay-per-view on Sunday. And that's going to be on HBO max. And you know, the, it, we, we can talk later about whether it'd be good or bad for them to go to 12 pay-per-views a year versus the, the four ones that they, uh, have been doing. But, um, it, you know, the, the better thing I think that's going to come out of the, the streaming deal is the fact that you can now go and have one service or a major service to go back and watch. Uh, like I work every other Wednesday, so I don't get to see dynamite live every other Wednesday. Uh, it, it would be nice to go to a real streaming service that I can go and catch up on that uh, missed episodes. Yeah. And I think that's the one thing they are missing from, uh, cause I like WB has Peacock and they have W network and uh, other markets. And I didn't know this, but they're on Disney plus and other markets as well, which is very interesting. But um, I, I do think that them moving stuff to H, especially HBO Max, they could do playlists of matches, and which WWE does as well. I just started noticing that they'll have like matches of Kurt Angle only and matches of The Rock only. And they basically will theme like that area around like a new route. Like, you know, The Rock just came back, so they have his stuff on there. And they just did the Angle documentary, which probably is my video of the year already. Um, and they had that on there along with his matches, key matches, which I watched as King of the Ring against Shane McMahon just recently. And oh my gosh, it was, it's way worse than what I remember. So, um, especially knowing when you say worse, you're talking about brutality. Uh, Oh no, no, no. The quality is great. The brutality, um, especially knowing that when he was throwing Shane through those couple times, he basically knocked Shane, Shane was just like, you know, just going on instinct. What am I supposed to do? And the fact that he had to punch that, a, you know, to make a break is, uh, yeah, it says something. Uh, but yeah, over, overall, um, I think it'll be great for AEW to do that. I would like to see how uh, Tony's going to handle that because I'm wondering if he's going to do it spirit headed himself or if he's going to get someone else to do it. And I'm just thinking, are they going to get maybe a, a release WWE people that worked on the network? Are they going to become over AEW to be like, this is how we would do it and make it better? You know, um, is it? I noticed that everyone we've kind of focused on ticket sales and I'm curious, is that something that maybe doesn't matter as much as it didn't used to? 
Like if the money is in TV deals and the money is in streaming deals, is it possible that really ticket sales are just a thing that we're used to counting, but they don't care as much? Because we know that TV is basically bleeding, right? Live sports rules everything. And wrestling is as close as you get to a live sport without getting one of the, you know, NFL, college football, NBA type deals. And honestly, if, if Warner's willing to pay whatever they want to pay, I don't really care how many ticket sales there are because I'm going to get my money from my TV deals, from my advertisers, from my streaming deals, which means is the market saturation as big of a deal? Like I want them to come to Seattle, but who gives a crap if they're still going to draw the kind of ratings that say, hey, yeah, this may only be one million, but no one's getting more than that because college football is the only thing that anyone wants to watch on Saturday. We all stream our stuff now. Like it is different than it was in the 90s. The ticket sales are going to be important because depending on the market that they go to, I mean, they could just, if, if that was the case, they would just do a soundstage, right? Like they would just stay in one spot and they would just, you know, do all their matches there. Going to the different markets, one, I mean, you know, an audience can help enhance something, you know, like we talked about with Miro and Hobbs or, you know, uh, Hogan and Rock. That can help really enhance something. So they need to get some money. Now, I do agree. Obviously, the TV rights deal, that's your bread and butter. You know, that's going to get you... I don't know, like 70% of your, your income, but you do still need to tour because one, you want to make new fans. You know I mean? That's kind of important too, because you want your business to grow. And if you don't grow your business, then eventually the TV rights deals will start to dry up and you don't want that because if that was the case, I mean, you look at something like an impact impact is, you know, they're nowhere near the level AEW is, you know, they're on, I think access TV and they, you know, get a hundred thousand people maybe that, that watch their show. Uh, I want to say maybe per week. So it, I, it is important to have people show up at the show. I can understand why uh, you would say like it might not be as important as it used to be, but it's still you still want to have people that are going to be there. I guess what I should say by important is that like when Tony Khan is, is looking at the budget, I don't think live TV sales because like NXT, for example, right? NXT didn't tour and they were doing just fine. Now, granted, they were subsidized by WWE, but... I, I, I could be wrong. I think there is significantly more money in the TV deals and the streaming deals. Mm -hmm. Now, what you're talking about is future growth, which is fair. You do want to make new fans. But I don't know that, like, you know, the way that we looked at it from – because wrestling comes from a carny industry, right? So it was about touring and getting new fans. The world has changed. It's globalization. We all get to watch every show. I don't – to me, that's lower on the priority list. I wouldn't say it's unimportant. I would say my TV deal significantly outweighs what my live ticket sales are because yeah, I'm going to make the bulk of my budget from my TV deal. Yeah, you're, I mean, you're going to get like 70% of your income easily from the TV yep. deal. Uh, but if, I, if I'm an executive and I'm looking at that, it'd be, a, okay, well, what makes you important? What are your ratings? You know, the ratings, yep. you know, it's been fluctuating. There are some really good times. There are some bad times. You know, so it, you want to take a look at the ratings and see how well they're doing. And then are they growing at all? You know, how are you growing the business? And being able to show Wembley and say like, hey, we had 81,000 tickets sold. That's a really big mark that they can they can look at and they can, you know, tout what they did in Chicago, you know, like during the, the stretch that they did there, they can say we produce X amount of revenue, you know, for for the city of Chicago, for the, the area of Chicago. And so being able to do that type of stuff, I think is going to be really important, you know, for when you are going to be selling those rights. I also think there's a big difference between like it might not matter to AEW the ticket sales like the company AEW, but I think it matters for the wrestlers and the aspect of you look at like the music industry. If you produce a CD, it's the distributors and everybody like that, that they make the money on the CD. The, the group makes the money by going on tour and doing the concerts. 
So I think it, it kind of almost in the same way where it's like AEW makes the money on the TV deals, the, the, um, you know, the pay-per-views and everything like that, but your wrestlers, they're going to make their money on merchandise. Uh, and that's a lot of the, I think is the merchandise is sold at the live events. So that's where they're making their money and it's got to be important to them to, to be able to tour and keep going around and, and, uh, everything like that. So I think ticket match ticket matters, but not necessarily like you said in the same way though, that for the, for the main company, it just matters more for the wrestlers, I think. Interesting. So, uh, I want to leave you guys on something, uh, of, uh, interesting thing that edge said in a podcast recently. So of course everyone knows edges theme music, which is a song by, uh, I think it's Avenged seven alter bridge. Alt- Thank you. Alter Bridge. And he actually talked about how he got the rights to it. It's because the guitarist in the band is the one who owned the rights, not like it wasn't like a, a record company or anything like that. Just the guitarist of, of uh, Alter Bridge owned that uh, uh, particular song. So that's why Edge is still able to use it. And also because he demands it as well. But he said just because of that, it was a great business decision on his behalf because they said they feel like they sold more tickets because of just the one song that was on there. So kind of a little happy thing. It was on Logan's Paul's thing and it was short, but still it was pretty interesting. Are you saying then that edge has permission to use his theme song wherever he goes? Yes. Cause WWE does not know, own it. They always licensed because it was always licensed from the guitars to WWE directly. So the cost was, was not as much as it would be normally. So because of that, they could then reuse it only for his entrance, and but they couldn't use it for a pay-per-view. It was, uh, I think, the the longer aspect of that interview. Because I thought that was really intriguing on um, how they used it and how like uh, Logan Paul got... Uh, there was a bunch of songs that he tried that they all said no because the rights fees would be so much and that they would only be able to use it the one time because then when they would put it onto WWE Network, it would have to be something else, which I thought was very mm. intriguing. But yeah, so that's that's how Edge got to use uh, Alter Bridge's uh, songs because they didn't have to jump through hoops to get the uh, legalities done. So, and it's also an awesome song to start off with. And he's like, "There's nothing that punts me up more than that song." <laughs> I was like, "But anyway, so that's all the time we have for this month's show. If you're into the Twitter, you can follow the show at Altamark86. I want to thank 86 Productions for hosting and editing the podcast. And I want to thank all of our listeners for taking the time to download and listen to the show. And for Doug Hahn, Roger Cave, and Aaron Hughes, I am Andrew Hughes. And until next time, we'll see you in the ring. 